If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Man. Good morning. It's great to see you all here today. Um, we're in our series called Different, looking at the epistle of 1 Peter. I'm going to be picking up where Pastor Aaron left off last week. I want to give you a really quick overview of what's going on here so that you can follow and track a lot, uh, a little bit with us as we go through this series. In the book of 1 Peter, we're discovering our identity in Jesus Christ. We've talked about that a lot already. Today we're going to discover, and Aaron touched on this a little last week, uh, we're going to look at this community of believers, uh, church. We're going to look at what what does it mean to be the church that Jesus intends. And then we're going to just tickle this uh, third part of of, 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 of 1 Peter a little bit today, what it means that we're uh, people of the priesthood that God wants to use his people in a special way. And so this morning, we're going to just really, really dive heavily into the community part uh, um, of this whole kind of First Peter emphasis. And I, I just want to um, uh, share some thoughts on that before we get to it, just to kind of warm you up. The challenge associated with talking about the church is that whenever I use that language, people have preconceived notions. So if you're talking to somebody and you bring up the word church, immediately thoughts come into that person's mind, whether we're in the church or outside the church. Would you agree with me on that? And what I want you to do today is just lay down any preconceived ideas you have about church and really begin to ask yourself, what is a biblically defined fellowship of believers? What is church supposed to look like? Uh, I want to begin with um, a story that maybe will loosen you up a bit. As was the normal routine... On a Sunday morning, a wife got ready for church. She got up, had breakfast, you know, showered, got dressed, did her hair, did all the stuff she did to prepare uh, for the day. And just as she's ready to leave, she notices that her husband is still in his pajamas and his robe. And she says to him, honey, why aren't you ready for church? Give me one good reason why you're not ready for church. He said, well, I have three reasons why I'm not ready for church. One the church feels cold. I don't want to go there. Two, no one likes me there, so why should I go there? Three, I just don't want to go. So I have three reasons why I'm not going to do church this morning. Well, she said, I'm going to give you three reasons why you should go to church. Anybody ever have these conversations with your wife or your husband? First of all, she said, number one, the church is actually quite nice, quite warm, quite friendly. Reason number two, There's a few people there that really do like you. Reason number three, you're the pastor and you need to go. (laughs) So, when it comes to this topic matter of church, I'm going to admit with you, even I struggle sometimes with it and what it should be and what we should be experiencing. One of my uh, people that I like to read is Eugene Peterson. He's a noted pastor and author. And he said this about Christians in the church. Listen to what he says. Whether we like it or not, 
The moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is from the time we become a Christian, we are at the same time a member of the Christian church. Our membership in the church is a corollary with our faith in Jesus Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. It is not an option for those Christians who happen by nature to be more uh, gregarious than others. It is part of the fabric of redemption. There are Christians, of course, who never put their names down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to worship each Sunday. There are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate church. But they are members all the same. Whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, for God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. Did you hear that? His relationship with us are personal, true, intimate? Yes, but private? No. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. I like Peterson. I like how he says things. Gets you thinking. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get you, you get you thinking on church. So I'm going to ask you some opening questions. And I just want you to think about this. When you think of church, what comes to your mind? How would you describe it? Especially how would you describe it to somebody that's not a person of faith, that's not a Christ follower? How would you describe church? How is it unique? What differentiates it from other organizations? What do you love about church? You know what's a good exercise to do? I know I do this frequently for myself anymore because I can tend to get kind of cranky and cynical. Anybody relate to me on that? It's a good exercise sometimes to step back from something and say what's good about it. To remind yourself there are good things. What are some things that disturb you about church? By the way, I've had a lot of people tell me what disturbs them about church. Have you had that conversation? What disturbs you about church? There's a Jesuit priest, his name is Avery Dooley's, who authored a a writing on different models of church back in 1974, and he had a second edition come out in 2001. And I found his thought process here enlightening. He, He gives us six models for church. And I want to share those with you today because I think sometimes we fall into one of these camps really strongly. And really, church is, is probably a healthy combination of all the models I'm about to share with you. But here are six models of church that, that Avery um, shared uh, in his writings. One is institution. How many of you think of church as an institution? Anybody? How many like the word institution? Anybody? Usually we think of it as being cold and rigid and a whole bunch of rules. This model emphasizes the structure and the order of the church. Now, lest we think it's not important, some of those early councils in Jerusalem were on this very thing, how to have structure and order in the church, how to address the institution side of church. Second model that Dooley's came up with is this, mystical communion. This model emphasizes community, but it goes way beyond just gathering together. It's, it's understanding community as a family. 
that you have DNA relationship. You know, when you have a family, uh, especially if it's biologically, uh, you know, oriented, you all share the same DNA. You have this commonality of heritage and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, this model emphasizes this idea that when we're born again in Jesus Christ, we share spiritual DNA. It's more than just we're getting together. It's we're getting together with brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something mystical about that uh, communion. Then the third model that he came up with is sacrament. Sacrament. This means church is a visible sign of Christ to the world. Um, it's, uh, you know, an instrument. It's, it's, a, it's, it's got this symbol and sign thing going on heavily on it. There's nothing wrong with sacraments. Would you agree with me on that? They're, they're used by God to bring us to worship moments. Um, fourth model is herald. This is a model that emphasizes that we're to pronounce the good news of the kingdom of God to people. Um, constantly calling everybody to uh, renewal and reform. Fifth model, servant. This model emphasizes the church commitment to social justice, uh, to doing what Jesus did in caring for the least of those uh, among us. Um, now, lest you think that I'm just pulling these out of the air and that they're not relevant, when I started ministry here uh, uh, about 20 some years ago, when I went to Williston especially, um, the servant model of church really began to gain traction. Um, it was called being externally focused. And I even went to seminars. I went to a seminar in Estes Park because, you know, I wanted to go there and suffer for Jesus and go to the seminar, right? Anyway, um, so we go to this, this seminar, and all it did was promote being a servant as a church. It made this the high calling of the church. It, it said this is the model that we need to emulate. And I even brought that back to our church in Williston. We even had a day where we didn't do church and, and several other churches joined with us and we just served the community that day. We did like, like several hundred projects. And, and then we got together that night and had a service. And, you know, um, so uh, yeah, I personally even explored some of this stuff as a pastor, okay? I'm just trying to point this out. So this servant model is something that you'll hear about. If you, if you know the language, you'll begin to say, oh, that's that model of church. And then the last one is community of disciples. This model was the latest one that Dooley's added. In fact, he added it after the other five. Um, this is a community of people that follow Jesus, trying to be like Jesus in everything they do, praying together, uh, and they also know that following Jesus will involve some suffering. This differs from, this differs from the mystical uh, you know, community in that the mystical community really emphasizes family and that kind of spiritual heritage together. This, this emphasizes doing life together, rowing the boat the same direction, being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, spurring one another on uh, to good works. Now, can you see the validity of all these models to some degree? Uh, yeah, they all, have, they all have some valid points. And here's what happens. Churches tend to be one or two or three of these. And that's short of the picture that we're supposed to have uh, of church. I was reading a commentary on church, and here's what it said, and I'm just basically going to quote it. This is our introductory thought today. The church is first a living organism. The church is first a living organism. Did you hear that? The church is first a living organism. And also necessarily an organization with structure for its well-being and for protection of the truth. So the church is both a living organism and it's an organization. 
Now, I don't know about you, but organization is important, but it's something I don't want to talk about. But organization guards the integrity of the church. Organization is important, uh, you know, to keep the church within the bounds of good theology and all that kind of thing. Um, Paul's instruction to Timothy and Titus had a lot of organizational kind of bent to it. So it's important enough to even end up in scripture. But we're not going to talk on it today. I'm going to talk a lot on church as an organism. All right? And so some of you are probably going, good, because you don't want to talk an organization. But I want to tell you, whatever you think of church today, please just shove it to the side for a few moments and listen to how church should be defined as Christ wants it to be defined. Listen to the teachings of 1 Peter. And we're going to get into this more as the, as the morning continues on. So hear now what Peter says about the church. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. Listen to this. As you come to him, the hymn referring to Jesus Christ, the living stone, what's he called? The living stone. He's not a stone, he's a what? Living stone. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like what? Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, this is our memory verse, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you did not or had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we see here that Peter is describing the church as an organism, as this living entity. We are living stones. Christ is the living stone. And together we form a a living structure that's called the church. So here's our big thought today. Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, is building his followers, living stones, into a spiritual house. Pretty obvious. That's what scripture just told us. Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, is building his followers, living stones, into a spiritual house. Now I want to really dive into what it means to be an organism. All right, I want to really talk about church from that living standpoint, being a, a live standpoint. Uh, recently, Vicki and I uh, went to Glacier. We went out there to do some hiking and have a good time. And, and so, um, I don't know if you ever do mountain hiking, but I, you get extraordinarily tired. And so, I did something I have never done in, 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 in my whole time of going to national parks. I went to the ranger talk that night. I was exhausted. And the guy came around and said, I'm going to talk in grizzly bears. And I said, oh, okay. 
the digestive system of grizzly bears. He's going to talk on specifically. I said, all right, I'm exhausted. I don't want to do anything else. I'll just go listen to Ranger Rick. I don't know what his real name is. Talk on grizzly bears. And he began to talk on grizzly bears and the importance that they have uh, to, to the park. And he used language that I, I'm using in today's message. I, I, in fact, I began to really listen to him because he was using the same language I'm going to share with you today. He said, it's an interesting fact about grizzly bears. They have a symbiotic relationship in the ecosystem of the park. And I'm going, all right, you got my attention now because that's in my note guide here for today, all right? And he starts talking about how the grizzly bears benefit the park. That people are really afraid of grizzly bears and really shouldn't be because basically their claws are used for digging, not for killing. Right? Everybody thinks a grizzly bear is going to attack you and eat you. They don't like to eat people. It doesn't work very well. They're just not built for that. They're mainly, you know, um, they're omnivores, but they, they, they mainly eat plants. And they dig up huge amounts of the plant, of the, of the park, looking for, for food, which excavates the park. When the snow melts, they go out and they eat all the carrion up because they like to eat rotting dead meat because it's easy to eat. So they clean the whole park up. And then, on top of that, they'll eat, they'll eat thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of berries a year. And they go to the bathroom about 10 times a day. So everywhere they go to the bathroom, they leave a deposit of fertilizer and seeds to grow new plants. I know none of you are interested in this, all right? But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to describe to you what it means to be symbiotic. There's this mutually beneficial relationship happening between these bears and the park. And they're saying if the bears were absent from the park, the park would become diminished and, and it would suffer because they're such a main ingredient to keeping the park what it is, okay? I want you to hear this. We're part of a living organism called the church, and you and I are in symbiotic relationship with one another, a mutually beneficial relationship. Did you hear what I just said? If you do not understand church this way, and what God is calling us to, it'll never be what it's supposed to be. We're in a symbiotic relationship with one another that's supposed to be mutually Beneficial. Since I've used the word symbiotic here, uh, 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 I'm going to define it for you. Just using, you know, the internet as my source. Okay, here we go. Um, First of all, it says this. When it comes to defining symbiotic, it means organisms living in close physical association with one another. Classic one is this. The fungi form symbiotic associations with the roots of plant species. Now, I'm going to tell you, because I had like God moments on this this glacier trip, right? So, I know that this is the definition of symbiotic because I've already put this message basically together for today. So, now I go to a second ranger talk because I'm really tired. The second. Uh, so, this was actually Ranger James. I remember him. You know what he talked on? The importance of fungi to the health of the park. I thought, you got to be kidding. So, I went and listened to Ranger James talk on fungi. And he starts talking on this idea that there's all this fungus that, that lives underground that actually latches onto the root systems of the plant, extending the plant's root system to go way deeper, making it three or four times more efficient to bring nutrients and water into the plants. It's all over the park. He, call it, he says, we call it the, the root net system. You know, that everything's tied together with this fungi and there's this mutual beneficial relationship between uh, trees and this fungi. And I'm thinking, huh, that's in my note guide for Sunday, that there's a symbiotic relationship between fungi. And then, uh, you know, um, 
And he was talking about the symbiotic relationship between bears. It's a mutually beneficial relationship between bears and the ecosystem of the park. Well, get this. Second half of the definition here of, of uh, uh, being symbiotic. It denotes a mutually beneficial relationship between different people or different groups. For instance, the reader can have a symbiotic relationship with the writer. So now I want you to understand this, church. If we don't, I, I know that I'm going a little bit crazy on you here with this language, but listen, if you think of church without including this in the, in the concept of church, you'll never have a right understanding of what, what Jesus intends. He intends us to be a body that are in symbiotic relationship with one another, mutually beneficial relationship using our gifts and talents to bless each other and further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 27. It's long. But all it is doing is describing the importance of being in symbiotic relationship with other believers. Listen to this. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now listen to this. Now if the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. See, what Peter is saying in 1 Peter, and what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, is that we are a living organism in relationship with one another. We all have parts to play. We're in symbiotic relationship. It's mutually beneficial and we have to do our part. Other people have to do their part in order to experience the fullness that Jesus intends us to experience as the body of Jesus Christ. So let's talk some reflection here. First of all, we know this. Followers of Jesus are in a, symbi uh, a, a symbiotic relationship. We know that. We're called for that. But here's what I want to get to real quick. If parts of the church are missing, that is problematic. Would you agree with me on that? If parts of the church are missing, that's problematic. 1 Peter 4.10 says that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been graced by God. We have been graced by the person of the Holy Spirit um, to have certain gifts and talents that as we share those gifts and talents, we're ministering God's grace in his fullness. When part of us is gone, that grace is missing. We don't experience the full power of God. When part of the church thinks wrongly about what church is about, it short-circuits this also. So, do you understand your part? Do you understand who you are? Do you have self-awareness? How has God gifted you? How has he blessed you? 
what you have to contribute. How can you encourage other people? How can you be one who mutually builds one another up? Do you understand other parts in the body of Christ? I've talked about this multiple times. If you want to understand your spiritual giftedness as a follower of Jesus Christ, go to Romans 12, read about spiritual gifts there. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, where we were just at. Read about your spiritual gifts there. Go to Ephesians 4, read about spiritual gifts there. How have you been gifted? Begin to use that. But more than that, I'm going to talk to you about just how do we have everyday interaction where we begin to embrace the differences as blessings rather than as problems. I'm kind of an intense personality. If you're around me, you've probably gathered that. Um, so I have a hard time just enjoying life. I have some really good friends I've developed here that know how to have a good time. So when I get with some of these guys, I tend to see what they're doing and I relax them and have a good time. It's, it's beneficial to me to just see that. That you don't always have to be so driven. That you can just relax and just kind of mess around and have, have, some, have some fun. And, and that's a real blessing to me. I need to tell them that at some point. You know, you bless me by just being a goofball. There's nothing wrong with that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes that's what we need in our lives. It's just somebody that gets us to loosen up a little bit, not take ourselves so serious, and have a, a good time. Now, I've been married 45 years. I still don't understand Vicki. I love her. She's a great wife. And she's listening online, so I have to speak really kindly. Or I would anyway. Sometimes she'll say things and I'll go, in my mind, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's not a criticism, because she'll say the same thing to me. And lately, I've been trying hard to understand, okay, What's this mean? And to think about a little bit more and just to embrace that difference. You follow what I'm saying? I think in church circles sometimes we want everyone to be just like us. Guess what? Nobody is like you. And, and I think what the Lord wants us to begin to learn is to say, okay, God, what is happening here? How do I embrace this person and hear what they're saying and just really listen to them. And perhaps you have a word for me that that person's sharing if I'll just lay down my defenses and listen to what they're saying and not have to have everybody uh, necessarily uh, think like me. You know, I love how some of you so easily laugh. It's like, like the Bible says, laughter is medicine to the bones, man. It's good just to laugh. I love what happens out in the foyer when we see people visiting. Do you know how many people never have that? They never experience it. Isn't that sad? What a shame when, when, when we don't have this significant connection with other human beings that blesses our souls. That's church, my friends. That's the biblical understanding of the fellowship of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. Jesus is described to us as a cornerstone. Do you notice that here? And a cornerstone in ancient Jewish uh, times was just paramount, fundamentally important to making that building. It would be cut straight and true, and everything in the building then would go off of that and be straight and true. And what, what's being said to us here by Peter is, listen, 
community of, of Christ followers. If you're going to be the right community, you've got to be built in Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, this is fundamental. It's getting back to identity again. But if we're going to be the church that we're supposed to be, we've got to listen to Jesus and follow his ways and base our life on his ways. And then we're going to be straight and true. That's what, what's being kind of indicated by this cornerstone. Now, if we don't build our life on this cornerstone, what happens? We stumble and we fall and we boost ourselves up. Now, I, I appreciate this kind of teaching more as I've gotten older and done a lot, a lot of building projects in my life, whether they be when I was at 3M or even the church here. But I remember doing one building project a while back in the 1990s when I lived out in Elkton, by Elkton. We put a pole barn up. Anybody ever put a pole barn up? Yeah. I, I remember thinking, okay, I got this big honker pole barn I'm putting up. And of course, I'm a typical male. I'm not asking anybody how to do this. How hard can it be after all, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, how do I line the four corners up right? You know, if you just go length and width, you can get a nice parallelogram, right? You understand what I'm saying by that? Everything can be slanted. It's still going to be parallel walls, but they just aren't going to look very good. So I begin to think about that, and I thought, oh, I, I bet you just, you just measure the diagonals. Now, of course, anybody who's done it would say, duh. Well, I've never done it before, you know what I mean? I'm discovering everything from scratch here. But if you measure the diagonals, the two diagonals and the length and the width, then it's square, right? Math people? got me, right? So it's really important to, 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 to know this like basic building, uh, you know, philosophy to build this building straight and true. What, Jesus, what Peter's sharing here with us in, the, in First Peter is some basic building understanding for being a straight and true body of Jesus Christ. It's got to be built on the cornerstone of what? Jesus Christ. If not, you're going to stumble over that. And people who reject Jesus stumble and fall and get bruised up and life's not very good. Um, a few years back, I was into running a lot. I'm not into running a lot. No, just to let you know that. Um, so I was running early in the morning and it's dark out and you can't see very well. And it was about this time of the year. I remember I was running down Main Street. I was running in front of Midwest Glass and I'm, I'm going at a pretty good clip. At this point, I was in good shape. So I'm running pretty hard. I'm heading to the, to the trail to go to the nature park or back. You follow, I live over, in, uh, it doesn't matter where I live. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So I'm running along. Well, there's this lip on the sidewalk right in the, right in the shadow of a tree that you had the street light in the shadow, so I couldn't see it. So I'm booking along and I caught that lip right with my toe as I, as I, and it just propelled me right down to the ground. I remember thinking, I'm going down. And I threw my arms out in front of me just like this, right, to protect your face. And I landed right on both elbows. And I just kind of skidded to a stop on the sidewalk. And I remember this really vividly because it hurt like crazy. I'm laying there thinking, I broke both my elbows. And I, I rolled over kind of on my back. And I'm just laying there. I mean, this is all happening. And of course, there's no traffic at that time in the morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning in, in Brookings. So I'm just laying there on the sidewalk moaning. Oh, you know, and I get up and I, I got massive bruises on both arms from that fall. And, and it's, it, when I hear that Jesus is the stone that people stumble over that reject him, I think of that incident in my life. It was painful. It was bruising. And when Jesus Christ is rejected as the cornerstone, life will be bruised. Life will be painful. It won't be what it's meant to be. Amen? So this is the community that we're supposed to be, the symbiotic, mutually edifying, relational community with a purpose, though. 
And that's what I'm going to end with. There's a purpose to, to the community beyond just the benefits of being in this symbiotic relationship. And that's identified for us in, in some of the scripture that we read right at the end here from, from 1 Peter. Um, I call this the purpose of the church. One purpose of the spiritual house that we're being built up into is to be this holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. This is what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is all about. That's our memory verse for the first few weeks of our First Peter series. We're going to have two more. So I want you to say this out loud with me. Would you say First Peter 2, 9 out loud with me, please? It's going to be in the board right behind me. Say it out loud. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, um, I would encourage you to say this out loud, to memorize it. Sometimes if you just take the first letter of the words and write them all out, so you go B, Y, A, A, C, P, you know, but you are chosen people. It becomes a little help to to help you memorize really quickly. But the reason I had us read all the way to verse 12 today is partly because it describes what we as the priesthood of of God, what we as a church and community are supposed to be doing as our our spiritual acts of of worship. We we may think, well, when when you think of spiritual act of worship, do you think of what we just did singing? Do you think of giving God money? What do you think of when you think of spiritual acts of worship? Coming to church? We're just... Spiritual acts of worship are described for us here in verse 12. It says this, live such good lives among the pagans that they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's a, that's a description of spiritual acts, that worship, that we're supposed to be performing as the holy priesthood of God, as this community that's bound together in this symbiotic relationship with one another. We're supposed to live such good lives among the pagans that they see our good deeds and they glorify God in heaven. That's our spiritual act of worship. So that's our conclusion today. Live such a good life that all may see your good deeds and glorify God. Guess what I'm going to talk about next week? This. And what this looks like. Because that's what gets fleshed out next in First Peter. One of the challenges of doing a, a series like First Peter is every week builds on each other, right? And so um, next week we'll get into this. But don't, over, over, don't overthink living a good life. You know what it means? Loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, being devoted to him, and having such a vibrant, alive relationship with Jesus Christ and with the body of Christ that you just naturally do good deeds that then bring glory to God. So let's pray, and then I'm going to turn it back over to the praise team. I'm going to pray Galatians 2.20 over us. Would you bow your heads, please? And pray this along with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Lord Jesus, that's an identity scripture that I just prayed. We no longer live, but you live in us. And as your followers, we are members of your church. As members of your church, Lord, we're called to this understanding that your church is an organism first and an organization second. And as an organism, Lord, we have to understand we're in this symbiotic relationship with one another that there's this mutuality uh, of benefit as we truly live out our gifts and our talents and we share with one another um, our lives. So I pray that this would begin to define church for us, Lord. And then you call us to this high calling us as a body of believers to this holy priesthood that we're chosen people. Why? So that we can become one to give you sacrifices. And the sacrifices are, Lord, 
a good life, resulting in good deeds that brings glory to you. I just pray we get the ebb and flow of the scripture, Lord. It's hard to preach because so much of it ties together. And I just pray that we would understand what it means to be your church and that we live accordingly, Lord. Uh, May you bless Grace Point. May you fill each person here today with the person of your Holy Spirit. May we live and move and have our being in you. May we just be so on fire for you, Lord, that we're uncontainable. May you just bless, bless us in ways that I don't know how to articulate today, Lord. And more than that, Lord, may we just be a light in a culture that's so dark. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.